Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time, I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been enjoying the show, please do subscribe and rate and review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. Or you can also tell people about the show just when you see them, if that's your preferred method of rating things. This week's guest is the multi-talented Emily Dean. You may know her as Frank Skinner's co-host on Absolute Radio, or you may listen to her brilliant podcast, Walking the Dog, or my favourite fact about Emily, she was in Day of the Triffids, which I think should probably be the only thing listed on her CV. Emily came in to talk to me about her sister, Rachel, who died of cancer, and the subsequent death of both her parents. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with writer, broadcaster, journalist, radio host, podcaster. Yeah, I'm happy with that. <laughs> Emily Dean. Hi, Emily. Hi, Carrie. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Who are we remembering today? Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, there is... There's, is there a few? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a bit of a football team. <laughs> and yeah, there'd be, death has been a big thing in my life, Right. Um, I've realised. And so there are quite a few to choose from, but I want to specifically talk about my sister today. Because that was the death, I think, that was the most sort of significant and poignant and and kind of life-changing. Yeah. And the one that just felt like... Mm. I mean, I know you've talked about your dad and I've heard you talk about your dad and how it was the sort of tiger in the night aspect of it, the suddenness. And I, I actually think it's not a better than or worse than situation, but it's very different. I think that kind of bereavement is just a complete universe away from... Someone being sick, yeah. you know, you having your time to prepare and say your goodbyes and then someone suddenly being here one day watching Peep Show and then the next day gone, mm. you know. So, yeah, I, I would like to talk about her today. What's her name? Her name is Rachel. Rachel. See, it's, I use the present tense though, which is interesting. And yeah. you said, what's her name, which I quite like. <laughs> yeah, because we, we talked, she existed. And yeah, yeah, that's funny. I haven't even noticed I do that. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like, well, they're a person. It's funny though, the, the tenses, isn't it? Because yeah. I think sometimes you're talking about them in present tense. It's okay. Like, I, you know, it's difficult. Sometimes it, it's because you're remembering a story. You know what I mean? And then they did this. It's why they weren't dead in that story. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they were fun and alive. So let's remember them as that. Um, was she your younger or older? She was older than me. How much older? How many years? And she was two years older. Okay. And, yeah, we were very much... I would say, I mean, she was 43. I think she'll kill me if I add any years <laughs> onto her age. I think she was 43 when she died. And right. she had two kids. She has two kids mm. who were, um, Bertie, the youngest, was, I think she was she was just before her first birthday. And then my other niece was 11. So wow. that was, you know, that was the other thing that made it all so horrendous. Yes. And so she um, just had her second. She just had her second baby. So she did say to me, I mean, she got cancer. Mm. So I feel like I'm being really, I haven't done enough ramp stuff no, to make no, it no. sort of funny and nice. No, it's fine. It's I've fine. come straight out with the C word. It's the truth. That's good. That's fine. Um, what cancer did she have? She had liver cancer. But, oh. it, but I, you know, it's funny. When she had liver cancer, it's weird with diagnosis because I thought, oh, I don't want people to think she 
took drugs or drunk yeah, or something and she yeah. did and so I really made a point of saying it started in her colon every time I'd yeah. people didn't want to know that I mean so that's interesting because that's similar to my dad he had <clears throat> he had pancreatic cancer mm. but it was secondary liver so we didn't find out until the liver cancer and he was right. 44 really yeah. and it was really one of those kind of I feel a bit fluey things and she just she thought she kept saying, I need to shift this baby weight, she was saying to me. I remember being in a, wow. in a changing room in Topshop with her, yeah. and she was trying something on, and she was quite slim, my sister, and she said, I don't know what this is around my stomach, and it was the tumours. Wow. So that was why she was carrying all this kind of excess baggage, I guess, and she, oh her body was changing, obviously, and so, yeah, she just, it happened really quickly, and she would call me and say, I'm not feeling great. The doctor thinks I might have hepatitis, and there was... And then it, that was it. She was just in hospital. And she died about, again, similar to your dad, I think. She died about three and a half weeks after she was diagnosed. Oh, my goodness. So when, what time of year was she diagnosed? She was diagnosed. Well, just to make it extra special, yeah. it was Christmas. Oh, so. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Christmas. <laughs> Just to I really, know. really make that the funnest time of the year for the rest of your life. I yeah. know. I mean, Christmas is awful anyway. Anyway. I've oh. never been a fan. I've also just really naff. Yeah. And this just put the tin lid on it. So I can remember going to see her and actually she had to spend Christmas Day in hospital and I thought this isn't going to end well. Yeah. I knew this rom-com wasn't going to, ha- yeah, this wasn't going to have a rom-com ending. It yeah, was not yeah. going well. And we took, actually her last Christmas, we took the girls in. It was her last Christmas. I mean, she'd only just been diagnosed, but, and it's funny, I took a video of that. Wow. Because I thought for the little one as well, she's she was, you know, Bertie, Alberta, she was you know, 11 months old, or 11 and a half months old. But it's really, I like that I've got that. Even though it's a bit grim and my sister's wearing kind of, you know, hospital scrubs Mm. or whatever and her hair's up and it's, you know, and all my family are there and and they're all gone now as well, which we'll get on to because my mum and my dad died really soon after my sister. So, um, but it's it's, nice for the girls. Yeah, and it's interesting. I I spoke to a grief psychotherapist to get that right Julia Samuels and she has written an amazing book called Grief Works which oh, I yeah. thoroughly recommend yeah. and she says it's really important with children to get a photo of them oh really or video even if they even if you might think oh it's a bit morbid but they need to see that so she so when she's older the idea I think is, is to just help acceptance yeah so they can see oh mummy was ill and she looked ill and she was in hospital that's yeah. Rather than going, well, she's just gone. I did. I I remember her being healthy and at home, and then she wasn't there. Yeah. So it's all part of the same as with an adult. You know, you saw your sister. You saw her not looking well. You thought, oh, this isn't gonna. It all helps your brain accept what's happening. It's processing, isn't yeah. it? That's really interesting. I'm really glad to hear that because yeah. I said to Mimi, who's older, she's 15 now, and I said to her recently, you know, I was nervous about bringing it up, but I said, you know, I have a video of Mummy in the hospital mm. with you and Bertie and mummy and I said it's I've been nervous about showing you I thought you might not want to see it it is very kind of it's kind of upsetting yeah. and she said she kind of looked at me and she said I really really want to see it yeah um I would love to see a video of my dad and would you? oh my god I would love to yeah I really would because you sort of get to the point I think especially if you're a child of anything yeah, any, any, yeah. like any fragment of something they wore or they touched or anything and I talked about a lot I've only got VHS tapes Right. So there's no player. I don't have to yeah, do that yeah. I have to get them off. Yeah, I'm not surprised she feels like that. Do you talk to your dad ever, or did you talk to your dad? I did. Yeah. Well, I don't anymore. I very rarely. Actually, there was um, an interesting moment recently. We had the anniversary in April, 
and um, I was I did one of these with the Mac twins and they were talking about how they have all these connections with music and every time the Eagles come on really strange times and the dad loved the Eagles and as I was interviewing them I was thinking huh well I haven't had that for ages and I was really cross <laughs> and I was like my dad hasn't done that and I thought oh you know oh well Cara, don't worry about it there's a band my dad was really into called Quintessence right. who I had the tape of which he had recorded for me as it, and said because I liked Cooler Shaker sorry this is such a long story I'm, I liked I'm Co- sorry for your double loss <laughs> yeah I liked no Co- they were cool at the time they were cool at the time I loved Cooler Shaker Tatva love yeah. that song and um, he gave me this tape and he's like oh this band is really similar because he was so into music and I have searched everywhere for this band I've asked people no one's ever heard of them like I googled them people like I don't know and I because he was so into music I assumed oh it was like a what if only pressing a demo thing that he yeah. found because his mate worked at a record company and then the day after his anniversary this year we were at a, a re, you know a record boat there was a boat on the canal selling records and literally my husband went through and he went oh isn't this the band and it was that vinyl of quintessence I wow and I was like so the guy running it I was like oh, had it and he was like, oh, yeah, it's 20 pounds. Um, and that, and oh, then I, sa- I said out loud, I was like, oh, thanks. Because I felt like yeah. it was like, a, I'm, who knows, but I felt like he hadn't been in touch for a while. <laughs> it would be pretty hard not to see something a bit spiritual in that. Yeah, yeah. And- but so I don't speak to him anymore. But when I was a teenager, I did a lot. Yeah. Because it just felt like, especially when you're really sad, I used to talk to him a lot. Just Or I was pissed off. Where yeah. are you? Where the fuck are you? <laughs> well, that's the thing. And I think if you have a re- the relationship, you know, it never, it doesn't end really. No. And it's funny when people speak, I felt after I lost my sister, there was no, she had a good innings. Yeah, no. There was no, there was nothing to be had from it. It felt kind of senseless. Especially with someone with ki- young kids. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. It makes it really hard. And I th- I know during the funeral, we did a thing. I brought the order of service today this because I wanted, I wanted to feel like she was kind of in the room with us. And but there's interesting. You'll see at the back. I got well. I didn't. It wasn't my idea. But there was actually a friend of ours, a Scouse friend of mine, who did the order of service and has done quite well for himself. And now edits wallpaper magazine, so he's very good on design. <laughs> yeah, he's done well. But you know, it was interesting. I think it took someone with his Scouse directness mm. because we'd done the order of service and he just said, "Ah, oh, it looks nice, but you know, it's it's dead formal and that." And he sort of said, "I think you should have something from the kiddies." And that's a true friend who can give you. A review of on your, your order of dead sister's order of service. I like it. Oh, four stars. Okay, I've got some notes for you. <laughs> so at the back of the service, we should set is a, I guess, a drawing and a, a letter, and it says "Mummy" and it says "Thank you so much for being a great mummy. You were an amazing person." And it's from her two kids, Mimi and about a little photo of them. Yeah. And it is. I can't even read it because it's just gonna make me start crying. But I think, yeah, it's. That's really beautiful. Well, a lot of people, and, and Tony said, you know, he, who's my friend, he just said, it's their mother and they need to have a presence mm. in this order of service. And it yeah. takes a friend who's not consumed with grief where you make old decisions or yeah. you're just sort of on autopilot. And, and I really am so grateful to him for that because it made them part of the day. And I mean, of course... You know, on the day, my friends, many of whom have kids, are sitting there and they were like, thanks a lot for that. (laughs) You could have at least warned us. Um, But in a way, it's that thing. Parents do die. Yeah. It happens. And to try and pretend that she didn't have kids and we don't want to upset. Yeah. Again, denies who they are, denies who she was. She was a mother. And that's important to remember that. She was a mother, that she was their mum. So I think he's, yeah, thank 
Thanks to the old scouser. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it was funny. I remember when Princess Diana died and everyone talked about that was the most poignant thing for mm. me anyway. And of course, had I known at the time, this was, you know, a good... I don't know how many years, but yeah, when did she die? 97. She's 97. So She's the year before years. my dad. That's how oh, I know. Was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's how it always sticks in my mind because I always felt me and William would have had a good chat. Oh, we both yeah, you would have bonded. Still, there's still time. There's still time. But I can remember that poignancy of seeing the mummy written on the flowers yeah. on the coffin. And that's that day, to, I think that there was a humanity there in this big state occasion mm. and it all got a bit political and it all got a bit strange. And yet that those flowers with the mummy on the wreath just made you realise, God, these kids have lost a mum. Yeah. And I was very aware with this. And that, you know, that's what's interesting about interesting. I mean, you know, like it's a social experiment. I, no, yeah, I use that phrase a lot. It's Do the, you? It's the only word to say, isn't it? It is interesting. But yeah, I know what you mean. It sounds colder than you mean it. Yeah, <laughs> this is very interesting. <laughs> yeah. my, but it was interesting, I think, as a sibling, mm. and both my parents were still alive then, I think I sort of felt I was quite far down the pecking order of grief. Mm. I felt... You know, to lose a child is horrendous. Yeah. The worst nightmare. So for both of my parents, to lose a parent is horrendous. I felt, you know, for my brother-in-law, his mm. wife had gone. And it felt, for me, I sort of felt, um, not in a sort of self-pitying way, but I kind of felt a, a very much, well, I'm going to have to take care of all this. That must have been hard for you, though, because... Um Jade came on and spoke about the death of her sister. Yeah, I heard that. And I do think it's siblings is tricky, like you said, because there is the pecking order. Of course, shouldn't exist, but it does. But it must be up because, of course, you're she's your sister. Of course, you're grieving, you know, in a yeah. different way to them. But your pain is just as real. Did you yes. feel like you sort of packed it away a bit and then had yeah. to unpack it later? Do you know? I think I did, and I don't think I realised until a lot afterwards. Yeah. And I think people were saying at the funeral. I remember doing this speech. And I remember a couple of friends in a very well-meaning way. So, God, it didn't sound like you. Wow, yeah. And I remember at the time reacting, not to their face, but I think personally I thought, well, you try it. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I felt a bit cross. I felt, But I think they were just, It's. I think what they hadn't realised was that you just show up and it is a performance because yeah. if the real you shows up on that day, uh, you'll yeah. just be on the floor. Yeah. And I'd have ended up in the Priory or something. People had seen how I was really feeling. Yeah. So... And I think I'd made quite a firm decision not to sort of self-medicate in any way and not mm. to drink or, you know, so I was feeling it quite keenly. Yeah. Yeah, I think I probably did band-aid a bit over what my pain. And I think I was very aware my parents, which is also sort of relevant to this, actually, and I should point out, I felt for me when Rach died was that we had a really strange childhood, Carrie mm. Ed. I mean, it wasn't you know, like a normal childhood. My parents are both in showbiz and the media. My mum was an actress and my dad was a sort of TV presenter and a broadcaster. Oh, right. He was an arts reporter. And so they were brilliant, mad, eccentric characters. Yeah. But they were... It was a strange household to grow up in. I mean, we had no boundaries, no structure. You know, as a child, me and my sister would just... I remember going to a friend and... Uh, we went to a house and it was about six o'clock and the parents brought like fish fingers and I said, what are you eating? And they said, oh, this is tea. This is what you have. Yeah. And I said, well, we just go to the dinner parties. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
That's incredible. Like, well, where are the, where are the guests? I wondered where the guests were, why well, there was no wine on the table. Wow. I mean, we didn't, honestly, it was You had a proper actor's nights. household. <laughs> yeah. And there'd be a Doctor Who villain chain smoking oh and saying, you know, how he couldn't get any work. And there'd be philosophers and it was it was really amazing. Yeah. But yeah, I think sometimes... I would think I really would like to go to bed early and get up. And... Yeah, I'm tired, guys. Yeah, I'm tired. I don't care that you're not getting work. I'm six. <laughs> like, well, yeah. yeah and a lot of oversharing. And mm. a lot of my parents would say, you have to put on a, a comedy review because our friends are coming around. And oh, my God, pressure. I know. Jeez, what if we're not feeling funny? <laughs> and it was all sort of directors and actors. Oh, and, my God. And I'd say, I don't want to do the comedy review. I want to. Go, I need to go to school in the morning. Wow. I've got, and I remember writing something. It was like, who was Gan? I always remember sitting in my room and this laughter was going on and the smoking and the music and the noise and I was trying to write who was Gandhi and then <laughs> my parents pulled me downstairs to make me do this comedy review with my sister. We had our pajamas on. Oh my things. god! Um, so there was an element of us being the turn. Yeah, you know, yeah. Cause, and it, I think that wasn't a sort of abusive thing. That was just, just they who had, they were. Yeah, it was a bit sort of circus mentality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were like in a troop, not a family. Yeah, yeah. And, but <laughs> it, I think it meant that my sister and I, I felt we were a bit babes in the wood. Mm. And I felt she was the only witness to this weird thing where you'd say to my oh, mum, yeah. what, I was about seven, and I said, what, Nanny was being horrible to me about my grandmother. And my mother said, that's because she was on amphetamines, darling, I've told you. It's a bit abfab, isn't it? It's yeah. like slightly like, oh, right. Well, what did you think when she said that? Were you like, water amphetamines? Or were you... you know what's weird? And you what's really worrying? I thought, oh, right, okay, she was on amphetamines. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, think... I forgot. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> oh, I wish you told me earlier. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think at seven, I already knew that that was wow. a drug or something. So, I mean, my parents weren't druggy, but they were just a very cool 60s couple. My yeah. parents met because my mum was sharing a flat with Ian Lafrenia and Dick Clement, the comedy writers. Wow. And she said to them I want to meet a man it's time and they said well we've got a great guy he does an art show what about him and that was that so they introduced my parents wow um which was pretty amazing but it's I I had I had issues with a while for my parents because of this weird they didn't give me the tools I felt that I needed yeah. and I really after my sister died and then after they died fairly soon after I had to kind of forgive them and I really have now and I've got such affection for them and I I really love them now that they've gone but I completely know what you mean about bearing witness because I I mean not not at that standard I had quite a weird childhood as Did well you? yeah they're very hippies oh really very into self-help courses <laughs> like very set very 70s yeah. let's fix ourselves and I totally because my I have an older brother and yeah the ability to go oh, well mum said that yeah, you know what that means or she brought up that or dad do you remember when dad like and just someone to roll their eyes at with you and go oh my god yeah I know exactly and it's so yeah, yeah that's what siblings do you both saw the same weirdness yeah I guess every childhood is odd and strange of for its own reasons but yeah to, I completely understand what you mean to lose your partner in that way of someone who can at least go god yeah that was fucking weird yeah it was like my starsky had gone <laughs> yeah, and i was kind yeah. of like actually and it sounds so weird half the stuff sounds like lies and that's yeah. why it's interesting we had a lot of family friends and i'm so close to those to them now like my godmother penny and her family because we grew up with them and i was there the other day and she was coming up with strange things my parents had done and i was like 
oh, thank God, yeah, there are other witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> other and, people can remember. Well, she said something like, her husband said, I remember coming round and it was midnight and you and your sister were up eating dinner and playing. And I said, they're two and four. And my mum said, oh, they like to be up at this time. And <laughs> So how long after your sister died did your mum and dad die? So my sister died in 2012. Right. And then my mum, she sort of said to me at the time, which was tough, she said, I've sort of given up. Oh, and that's hard because that's there's really the really hard. Oh, the sort God. of seven-year-old in you is saying, "What about me?" Mm, you know, of and course. and actually, I feel, but I got it as mm. a human being. I completely related to it, and I I thought, how would I behave if my child died? Yeah, yeah I'd probably feel the same. My grandpa died six months after my dad, and they like literally just stopped breathing. Really, and literally. He gave up. And he never said that to us. Yeah. But I completely know what you mean. He was, he was beforehand, he was an extremely ebullient character and you knew he was in the room. And then after my dad died, he just was a shell of a person. But I, I know what you mean that it's very hard to hear that. I think it's amazing that you can view that statement as an adult and go, yeah, okay, I understand. And not let the child overtake and be like, but that's not fair. Like... Well, I think it's probably taken about £8,000 worth of therapy. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> That's how I'm here as well, yeah. But I, I, genuinely, I wasn't in a position to have been able to deal with that. I think I was angry at the time. Of course. It's... And I think in retrospect, it's taken a long time. Because you just lost your sister. And then your mum says yeah. that. You're like, well, fuck off. Like, yeah. yeah, again, your pain, you're having to shelve your pain slightly. Because yeah. your mum's pain, which of course she's lost a child, is huge. But yeah, that's tough. That's really and tough. I think also because my parents were, they were these kind of wonderful, extraordinary film characters. Yeah. And you know what I felt like? This is an analogy I that really always feels really poignant for me is in that film Purple Rose of Cairo and the actors, you know, it's that whole conceit of it is coming out of the cinema, physically uh, stepping yeah. out of the cinema back into the screen, the the, the cinema seats. And I felt like that, that. I felt like I'd been on this stage with my parents, mm. um, and then I came down into reality, and I had to sort of just—I was watching it almost. Wow. You know, I was—I was sort of part of it, but also I knew they were quite sort of mad, over—not over dramatic because it was—it was right to be dramatic about that. But they were big characters, mm. and I felt someone had to be. The kind of represent the Volvo driving dog family people. <laughs> yeah, someone has to have their feet on the ground. I guess. Yeah, otherwise you're all hysterical. So, did, what did she die of? Did so my mum got she got motor neuron disease, <sighs> and she just she was kind of shuffling around and she was quite young. Mm. My mum, quite young looking and quite young in spirit, and was still you know drinking champagne and you know, and it just happened really suddenly. Yeah. I mean, really suddenly, and she just so yeah she was diagnosed and then I had. So I was kind of nursing her for a bit. And then my dad died a few months after my mum. And what did your dad die of? My dad had Alzheimer's, oh, okay. but he actually had a stroke in the end. And what was hard, and this is something that's kind of quite tricky to talk about, but my dad and I weren't in a great place when he died. Mm. And I sort of own that now. I think for a while I was ashamed of that. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, that's a really complicated kind of grief. That's hard. Yeah. But I think I think it was to do with a number of things. I think he was very cut up when my sister died. And I think he said a few strange things. Mm. Do you think that was Alzheimer's? Because I know Possibly. it does make them... It does make the brain change and become an almost different personality, doesn't it? I think so. And he said a couple of things which I found really hard to deal with. Sort of... 
alluding to the fact that, you know, she she was the golden child and she'd mm. gone and stuff like that. And actually, David Baddiel, who's a friend of mine, who was great during that period, I remember I told him and I said, I'm really hurt. And he understood the kind of people my parents were. And he said, look, he's trying to be like King Lear, making a speech and being all dramatic. <laughs> I can and get that. that. Really he's, he's trying to have a moment. Yeah. He's trying to make a moment. He was trying to make it. He was trying to turn it into theatre, essentially. Because I guess that's what they understood. Yeah. And that, <laughs> made, that made sense to them. Theatre, drama, yeah. you know, tragedy makes in their world was a narrative that made sense rather than shit happens which is really boring and doesn't have a you know nice no. dramatic curtain call it's and just... I think he and I think when he said that it, I found it incredibly helpful because it was something along the lines of you know and he said the best has gone you know, the best yeah. one has gone and <sighs> it was really tough to hear yeah of course but when David said that I thought if you can just try, which again, it's taken me a long time to do, to take your own ego out of it, which yeah. is hard in that situation. Yeah. I think actually this was a man thinking, yeah, it, it was all he knew was quoting from Shakespeare mm. and being a dramatic character, as you say. So, um, so yeah, it was a really, you know, I felt with the kind of deaths, it was it was almost like I'd binged on a box set. Yeah. <laughs> and, and instead of watching the series week by week, which is what happens to most people, the yeah. odd death here, six or seven years, another one, yeah. oh, it's sad. Oh, it's a big one, that's hard. Then another one. It was like, bam, bam, bam. And, yeah. and also very like something like Game of Thrones because, of course, the best character was killed off first. <laughs> I've done exactly what my dad did. There yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> she, was, she was the best character. So, yeah. It's... It's hard. I remember we had so many funerals that it was like me and my mum had like an outfit together. <laughs> and it was like, it, it, it didn't even need to get it down. You know, it wasn't like, oh, what should I wear? It's like, oh, I just wear what I wore for Uncle Stan's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I'll wear that for Auntie Peggy. She's like, yeah, great. Oh, that's good. Oh, Auntie Dan's is the week before. Like, it just became, because we just had so many. I love that you had a funeral outfit. Oh, yeah, we got it. I got it nailed. And then, Did like, you say to the dry cleaner, oh, well, you can hang on to it for yeah, a bit on, because yeah. I'll need that again yeah, in about yeah, yeah. a week probably. <laughs> I'll pick it up in a week. It, I, my mum, I remember her saying it was just like every time the phone rang, it was like, oh, who now? Like it wasn't even a surprise. I mean, to be fair. Because you had your dad followed dad, by your granddad grandpa, quite soon afterwards. Six months afterwards, yeah. yeah. And then there was like a series of great aunts and great uncles and a friend of my mum, like just... Like you said, you just feel like you're in death. You're in the series death. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I didn't ask to be in this series. And you can sort of remember the time before that, before the significant character died. And that over there seems very sunny and bright. Yes, yes. We just used to like think what we were going to do or go on holiday. That was the biggest thing we were worrying about. Now it's like, oh, God. Well, it's like they changed the um, DOP or something. Yes. The director of cinematography (laughs) where they thought, oh, we're going to make it a bit moody. It is like Game of Thrones where it's all the nice sunny light bit and then it goes all like Winterfell and dark. Yeah, you go up north. It's like, oh, God, this is depressing, isn't it? Like winter has definitely... Yeah, I totally know. It's a really interesting thing and I think how... I love what you say about the clothes, though. That, That, you know, I remember the vicar that we had and my sister wasn't terribly religious but she'd done that thing of kind of she'd gone to church occasionally and we'd yeah. grown up in Highgate in North London it was very kind of villagey there yeah, and yeah. we had this idyllic well we had this idyllic childhood outside of the house <laughs> not inside <laughs> there's a church called St Michael's oh, where yeah. um you know they've had a lot of business out of us the last few years we've got <laughs> direct debit there now um but yeah, and I remember the vicar. I was really pleased because he was called Bryce and he was Canadian, I think. And he was 
had a hipster beard and <laughs> he looked like if he was in one of those movies like he'd be Greta Gerwig's love interest oh, nice. in a sort of indie movie yeah, yeah. and he was quite cool and a young hot wife and two kids and I thought I'm really pleased my sister's getting this guy <laughs> and she would have been pleased she would have liked it we yeah, chose yeah. well yeah that's um good. but yeah it was interesting because um he said when my mum died he'd done my sister's funeral and then he did my mum's and then he opened it with I keep telling Emily we must stop meeting like this <laughs> Bold. I know. It's a bold over It was a I bold like move. It. And yeah. actually, some of my friends, I think I'm friendly with a lot of comics. Right, and yeah. a lot of my friends who are comics were sitting there saying, do you think he did that? Because he thought, oh, I better get a oh, laugh in there are comics. Yeah, and I yeah. said, no, I don't know. I, I liked it and I was comfortable. But this is something else I wanted to talk to you about is that I realise that I make jokes. I'm sitting mm. here with you. And the reason I feel comfortable laughing at that. Yeah, yeah you had the same dress thing is I'm feel safe here yeah. I'm in what I believe they call the safe space yeah my mum cracks those jokes all the time really oh my god all the time so as I said before my dad's ashes were in the wardrobes for 10 for 10 years <laughs> and she'd all you know there's always this joke about well your dad's in the wardrobe go and ask him like it's like <laughs> which I think if you've experienced grief you you laugh because you know you know that that humour is coming from pain but it doesn't negate the pain my dad is in my cupboard oh, at the moment. Oh, great, yeah. Um, Keep him there as long as you like, my mum said. <laughs> well, it looks like a wine case. It yeah. looks like, because it's oh, a kind of burgundy-coloured case. He was in a plastic bag. She didn't <laughs> even get him out of the bag. The crematorium gave them to her in. She just put him in the wardrobe, in the bag. I think once I even said, w w like, where is it? She's like, oh, yeah, you know, can I borrow your handbag? And I was like, is it in that plastic bag? She's like, yes. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so have you taken it out of the plastic bag? Congratulations. Well, I have. <laughs> yeah, but good. the slight problem I had was that I had to take him. I had two sets of ashes because my mum and my dad. Right, yeah. I was t they're all in Highgate Cemetery, my family. Okay. My dad's about to be. It just takes so long. It's like oh, burying yeah. someone in 1812 trying <laughs> to get. Um, but I took my mum's there and I had my dad's on the way back. And I had to take, I totally forgotten, I had to take my car to the Mercedes garage. And. Uh, I turned up and he said, let me help you with that stuff out of the boots. <laughs> and he took my dad. Oh, God. And he's, my dad's in a bag at yeah. this point and he's carrying my dad. And he's going, oh, what you got in here? Oh, no. <laughs> How tempted was I to say my father? I would have been so tempted. <laughs> it's just my dad, don't worry. It was heavier when he was here. Be careful with yeah. him. So he then put the bag on the table. So God, we're having this discussion about the car and the finances, and my dad is there. <laughs> oh, you think he's it's my dad in the bag, it's my dad in the bag, yeah. And oh. he's made me a coffee, and I'm thinking, oh, don't put it too near to the bag. <laughs> it's, it was just, there was, it was, so the three of us were there, me, my dad, and this guy, yeah. and I'm having the coffee, and I was just thinking, please don't spill the coffee on my dad. But you realise with stuff like that, it is absurd. And you realise with death. Yeah, I think it's complete. Like, that's why I laugh about it. Because there's so much. It's just mad. It's just mad. With the girls, I've noticed that Bertie, who's younger, she's never known any different. Yeah. So she speaks about my sister. She calls her Mummy Rachel, Aww. which a friend of my sister's um, has encouraged her to do, which I'm really glad about. Because she talks about her in a very matter-of-fact way. Yeah. But she says things like, in company, she'll say... Who are you seeing for Christmas? And you know, in the way that kids ask questions yeah. only so they can ask themselves. You know? <laughs> yeah. No interest at all in the response. Yeah. And then she says, My Christmas is with my daddy and my grandma and my sister Mimi and my auntie Emily, but my mummy can't come because she's dead. And I find it absolutely hilarious. Yeah. But I know other people are a bit thrown by it. Yeah. 
because they sort of think, well, if I'm laughing at her, am I laughing at the fact that her mother died? Yeah. But it's such a fine line. I think you're allowed to laugh because you're her aunt. Mm. Her sister's allowed to laugh. If someone I, who didn't know the family was like, ah, <laughs> great joke, then I'd be like, all right, easy. But like, yeah. I definitely, when I make jokes like that, I want people to laugh and smile, but not, not. We talked about this with David actually. Like, sometimes when you open the floodgates of jokes, you don't want, especially with comics, then to be like, yeah. aha, I've got a funny joke about your dead dad. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No one's really done that with me. But what people do do, which I found really interesting after my sister died, and, and I mean, it was less obvious with my mum and dad because they're an older generation but yeah. people started talking to me in emails and texts as if they were Victorian yeah, yeah, so yeah. what is this weird grief language yeah. where they it's all euphemistic and it's all you know this weird sorry for your loss Rachel's passing and yeah. I remember actually David Baddiel's wife Morwenna who's a friend of mine and she sent me an email. I remember I emailed her at about midnight on the day my sister died. I was just getting around all the friends and I and I, I think I was too tired to make phone calls at that point mm. and I just emailed her because she'd been quite supportive and she'd sent me an email and I realised I hadn't got back to her and I said we lost Rach and I remember saying all this and she replied, oh fuck, oh god oh, and it was just this series of things like that yeah. and I really... You know, comparing it to the the terrible passing of mm. your beloved sister, which those people mean just as well. Yeah. Who knows how to speak? But I think, I think it just really. I liked that someone was was sort of describing it in the way Rachel would have described it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was yeah. oh fuck, fuck, that's you know, fucking shit. <laughs> and I've got to leave my kids. Yeah. You know, and I knew that's what she was thinking. She'd sort of when she was first diagnosed, and she was just in absolute disbelief mm. when they told her. They said three months, and then it was three weeks. And she oh. said, "She said I can't die. I've got two children. I can't." She was in absolute, you know, that would be your reaction, I suppose. But I think she got. She was very positive, and she said, "She said a couple of things to me. You know, we didn't do the deathbed scene because, as I know you've discussed on this podcast before, which I really like, there is no deathbed no. scene. Guess what? Yeah. There is no terms of endearment. There is no." Get your words in as soon as you can. <laughs> because by the time you're on the deathbed, they're so fucking high on morphine and the rest of it, you ain't going to get anything. Yeah, get in as soon as you can, yeah. really. If you do have something you want to say, just say it. Well, did you feel as well, because I, I can't remember, I mean, I know your story a bit with your dad, but whether you were you were with your dad when yeah, you we died? Yeah, we were there, yeah, yeah. We were at the hospice, me, my mum and my brother. I think he'd been in the hospice for a week. Yes, mum, I will check with you. <laughs> she listens. You um, are disgusting. You yeah, don't yeah. remember. How, I know. Like, well, that's why I couldn't remember how yeah. soon after the date. It's so vague. And, everything's so blurry from that time. So I think she, I think he was in for a week. But yeah, we were there. So I did say a few things to him, but I was 15. So The way things had gone, it had gone from being able to communicate to suddenly we got a call one night. She went to the Marsden and then they said, right, she's going to the ICU. And she went in there and then she just never came out. Oh, God. And so she was, you know, it was weird in there. I really felt quite comforted in there because the people were amazing, most amazing people I've ever met. Mm. And I remember this doctor said to me, who I quite fancied, actually. <laughs> um, and he said, uh, we're talking about living in the present or something. Mm. And he just said to me, he said, you know, the intensive care unit, people talk about living in the present. He said, and I laugh. He said, because they, the only place where you actually live in the present is an intensive care unit. Wow, yeah. Because you actually can't think about what happened or yeah. what's going to happen. You're just focusing on now, keeping people alive. Yeah, in that very minute. Yeah, and I found that really powerful. Mm -hmm. And I used to have this phrase with my friends because I'm very into 
sort of living in the moment and that's something I try and do and not holding on to anger and it's the yeah. most destructive thing and or pain and stuff like that but I just say I see you it that's what I say to my friends <laughs> we have a I friend. like that <laughs> yeah. I see you it I see, I see you, you it. It. intensive care unit yeah. which I mean obviously I, I really hope you're not in that situation obviously if you are I hope you're okay send you yeah. but yeah our I, thoughts and prayers yeah, are with you yeah. at this sad time but <laughs> like to just cut the bullshit like what matters and that's the one good thing, one good thing, about being so close to death and grief. It really does cut all bullshit out. Like anything yeah. like, oh, should I do this with my life? Or should, it's just like bollocks. Are we all here? Is everyone okay? That is literally all that matters. <laughs> like, yeah. It becomes really kind of, and I remember in that thing just thinking, today's a good day because she's still here. Yeah. And it was really as basic as that. And I'd get there. And at that point, she'd sort of lost the ability to communicate, but she looked very distressed and she was all her energies were focused on staying alive mm. i could see that and i could i know my sister so well i know every nuance every eyebrow raise yeah, you know and yeah. i i know that face and i was like okay you we've lost you now i knew but she just she what she was hanging on in there and i'm really pleased because i remember the last there were two really significant exchanges we had in the in the icu and one was um my mum as I'm sure will come as no surprise to you, given what I've said about her, was quite eccentric on the sartorial fronts. And she was wearing this... We used to always take the piss out of her clothes, me and my sister. And my sister would send me emails going, what is she wearing? And and my mum was sort of in on the joke to the extent where she'd once bought a horrible jacket from an Oxfam shop on purpose to wind (laughs) my sister up and say, I love it. But it was a kind of family joke. And my mum was wearing a sort of black tunic with these (laughs) clumpy shoes. It was a bit like... How can I describe it? It was like a 1960s film about right. a sort of malign authority figure. That's what I. it was like. Set in a dystopian future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very dystopian I'm so with you. I know exactly what she's wearing. Yeah. Can you work it out with big, wide yeah. pockets? Oh, yeah, Oval yeah. pockets. Yeah. I mean, she looked a bit of a hot mess. Yeah. And there was also, there was a film my sister and I used to like, very camp film called The Killing of Sister George. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah, know yeah, it? Yeah, I do, yeah. And Beryl Reed plays this. Yeah. I mean, in those days, she was clearly gay, but yeah. they couldn't say it. So a lot of my kind of LGBT friends think this is a very camp, funny film. Yeah. And it's Beryl Reed wearing those sort of clothes that my mum was wearing. Oh, wow, yeah. And I just looked at my sister and she hadn't done anything. She hadn't stirred. She looked very glassy-eyed, yeah. you know. And I just said... Well, I'd just like to apologise um, on behalf of Mum for her outfit. I said, she looks like she's come to the killing of Sister George. And my sister looked up and she looked at me and she smiled. Aww. And the energy it must have taken. And I'm so glad that it was something so weird. Yeah, yeah. And an obscure reference that only, only you two would the get. witnesses would get. Yeah. And she did something else actually at the end when my brother-in-law was in there. And she got, she had no strength up by that point. I mean, she was really, you know, machines were keeping her alive. But it was the weirdest thing. And I don't know whether you had this with your dad, that last burst of energy. Oh, I think yeah. you talked about it with Adam Buxton. Yeah, they do get sudden. And you think, oh, they're not going to die. <laughs> oh, oh no. everything's all right. And it's like, no, it's just the last, I guess, the last hurrah before the body is like, we're going. I know it's really horrible, isn't it? Yeah. It's like when an ex rings you up and yeah. says, hi, just checking you're okay. And you're like, oh, he wants to get back together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. No. no, no he was just, just having a slow night. Just, yeah, <laughs> genuinely checking you okay. Because <laughs> you're a bit crazy. I'm worried about you. <laughs> like, um. But yeah, so it's that slightly, but I remember she took my hand and she took my brother-in-law's hand and she pushed them both together Ooh. up above her head. And that was always, I felt that was her saying, like be united, yeah. look after the girls. And it was pretty amazing. And yeah, it was, we moved her from that 
because it was all machines and they sort of gave us the choice and they said look it's done you yeah. know she's not going to make it through the night we she'll probably die about three o'clock today oh. and it was weird having that it's like yeah. you know how you would feel if someone was being hung or something yeah, it was like yeah. three o'clock today the precise nature of it and so yeah so they sort of gave us the option of just gently winding everything down and there's a room next door to this room which was much quieter and I thought I don't want her to be have loads of machines and I think I would prefer mm. that so I made it really nice and I put like a scarf in there and a candle and tried to make it just like I mean it could never be nice but you know but no just something so just yeah. peaceful and Felt not more human yeah not like you said machines and disinfectant exactly so and we were just and we went into the room and we just kind of and that was it and she so in the room was it you and your brother-in-law and, and my mum and my dad wow and that was it really and we just sort of said our goodbyes and yeah it's just weird you're like how long are you going to be in there but again unlike in movies mm. as you well know I think I wasted that time thinking, is she still here? Is she still here? Is she still here? Every second. Yeah. Which is, again, you know, live in the moment. That taught me a lot. But I did, I mean, God, they're the most precious kind of 12 minutes of my life. Yeah. You know, never, ever forget that. It's incredible that you were there with her. I mean, what else can you ask for, really? Yeah. There's no good. (laughs) When somebody young dies, or anyone, you know, there's no good. But if you can make... Oh, I'm getting teary because I just feel like the fact that she had a one-year-old is just... I know. I mean, also... Well, I, you've got children, and yeah, I'm not saying yeah. it's worse, and I'm not saying... I don't have kids, and I'm not saying we're sort of cold, old, ha- dried-out <laughs> Harridans who don't have any emotion, no, but so I genuinely... I know now the experience of people, the reaction of people with kids mm. is the horror of that. And knowing... I think it was the fact that she knew, in a way. Yeah. And I was very aware when we were in the hospital... I was just aware vaguely there was a there was a moment when we were we took the girls in on Christmas Day on that video that mm. I told you about and she kept handing Bertie to me and to my brother in law and I thought, Wow, that is the most selfless thing I've yeah. ever experienced in my whole life. <laughs> that she was kind of saying, I can't bond. Mm. Not that I can't bond, because she was bonded with them to the end, but it was her realising that she was kinda of having to hand over the baton and not wanting yeah. and wanting to make that Easier for Bertie. Yeah, I think so. And for Mimi, and I think... So she was... She said to me a couple of things, but we never had... We never really talked... She would occasionally say things. I never wanted to say to her, tell me what you want me to do and when you die. You know, I didn't want to actually say to her, you're dying. But she would say... She said to me once, just really casually, I was in the room reading to her and I would sort of lie on her legs and just uh, talk to her. And she said, can you make sure... And I thought she was going to say, you get me some shampoo or something... (laughs) She said, can you make sure that when I die that they don't read the Daily Mail? (laughs) (laughs) What a legend. (laughs) That's hilarious. And I was just like, okay, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. She said, I don't want them growing up with those values. And she was quite sort of, yeah, that was really important to her, my sister, was that sort of stuff. She she used to say to me, I remember I, I, I wanted to, when she was still alive, I said I wanted to, to take Mimi to something 27 dresses. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she said, I don't want Mimi watching that. <laughs> and not in a humourless sort of militant yeah. way. She just said, I don't want her grow, having those values, thinking, oh, I'm going to be a bridesmaid. That's all I want to do is get yeah, married. And yeah. I, um, I miss that as well. Just that, you know, she was, 
it was a bit black swan and white swan with us. And I feel my therapist said to me actually not long ago, because weirdly, my therapist used to be my sister's therapist. Oh, wow. Which was so comforting. When she died, I basically went to her and I said, I'm not coping. And she has been seeing me ever since. And that must be very comforting because at least you know she knows her. And and she knows the madness of the childhood. And when you're talking about her, you're not. Because I think, especially when there's big characters, yeah. as someone who only recently joined Therapy Club, I find it really hard because sometimes she says stuff about my dad. I'm like, you don't know yeah. what a mad North London person is. <laughs> like, I was like, I'll be like, oh, you don't, you don't quite get it. Like she's like, oh, he's like this, and I'm like, no, no, think, <laughs> think weirder. And it must be really comforting that that therapist yeah. can be like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I well, she'll it. sometimes say, well, don't you remember when this happened? And I, and I find that really comforting. So. Yeah, and I and it's really nice. You know, she sometimes in sessions I'll tell her things and she'll start welling up. Ugh. She said Rachel's death was in a weird... I mean, this sounds so weird and it's really hard to say it without sounding really like an egomaniac and really narcissistic that, you know, how did it benefit me, the death? That's no, what it sounds no. like. But I suppose it's not that, but it's less what possible small element or kernel of something vaguely positive can you take from this and I think for me I'm I would say the person I am now has zero in common with the person I was when she died I mean it's that dramatic I think what I've become and it's a long process but just sort of living authentically yeah and I don't I don't think it sounds narcissistic it's it's really hard to say when it's you Mm. I totally understand but when a death happens to you, there's nothing you can do about it. it yeah. It's so shit. You have no control over it. So if, as you walk away from that tragedy, you can somehow make a positive thing, great. Because otherwise, the other option is, like you said, priory madness, yeah. you know, depression. So Drugs, yeah. Yeah, there's so, many, there's so many routes that people would happily go, well, of course, look what you dealt with. I'm not surprised you're on the floor and you don't get dressed mm. and you just spend your days watching daytime television and weeping into <laughs> Cheerios. Like, of course. Yeah. No, so if you can get something positive, I think that's really... I think maybe it's hard for British people to say. I don't know. Because I, I know what you mean. I often talk about the positive aspects of my dad's death. I am, I am the person I am today because it happened to me. Definitely. Definitely. And that because doesn't... it shapes you and I, I yeah. also think my experience is that I think it uh, it definitely sort of hones your empathy skills, I oh, hope, anyway. God, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, think, I think you can just, you know, I know mm. when someone's experiencing that. And, you know, it's really useful because I know what to say. Yeah. yeah. Also... It's one good thing. Yeah. It helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You definitely know. I'm like one of those cheap, it's like better call Saul. Yeah, yeah. Better call M. Someone's died, better call M. So, yeah, I definitely feel... And I did after mum and dad died. There was Rach, which was hard, really hard, and the hardest thing I've ever faced. And then my mum and my dad, you know, all of them within three years. Oh, that is a lot. And I just got to the point where I was like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm getting through the day, but I was mm. crying a lot. Oh, and Of course. To a degree where I was feel, and my dad, as I said, was a complicated I mean, I was with my dad when mm. he died. I'm really pleased. And I made my peace with him, which I'm so glad about. And so, yeah, so I reached a point when I thought I need some help. And I went on this thing called the Hoffman Process. Oh, what's the Hoffman Process? Which I'm really evangelical about. I love a course, thanks to my childhood. So (laughs) tell me. So the Hoffman Process, you go... And I'd heard about it. I'd heard it sort of talked about and various celebrities had done it. And I thought, oh, God, is it one of those things you pay a fortune to dress in a tutu and eat a boiled egg and, you know, (laughs) engage with your inner child? And I was a bit cynical about it. 
But then I kept hearing positive things mm. and I signed up and it's it was in Ireland and I like the idea of it not running into some bloke I'm on stage <laughs> in advertising, which yeah. was a concern, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. or a friend of a friend or, oh, don't you know Frank Skinner? And I was yeah. like, I don't want that. So I went to this one in Ireland, middle of nowhere. It's 10 days. You hand in your laptop, your phone, no wow. books, nothing, nothing to read. I would tell friends that and they'd say I couldn't handle that. And I, then I was really annoying. I'd say, well, what worries you about your inner in thoughts <laughs> so much? you've done a course, <laughs> you know everything. Once you've done a course, you're a nightmare. Yeah. So what it's about is essentially patterns. Mm. So you have to identify and look at all the patterns that you inherit from your parents. And they are quite, you don't say too much about the specific things that you yeah. do because in case people will decide to do it. And I think that leads people to incorrectly assume that it's some cult or something. <gasps> and some of my friends were worried I think because yeah. they felt I was vulnerable and and actually now they they're fine with it and I understand why they felt like that mm. but it was um it's the most life-changing extraordinary thing I've ever done wow. and yeah it was Is it kind of like workshops in the day like did you just sit around in groups and talk you about do things? a bit of group therapy yeah. there's an element of that but you sort of look at your patterns and there are techniques that you use which I still use to this day wow. which is I did, it's funny, I talked to Adam Buxton recently when I did a, my podcast with him, my dog walking podcast, and he said, to, he said, well, you do therapy. He said, isn't it just blaming other people? Which I love, that's so Adam. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I said, well, no, what was interesting about this course was that it's about fully taking responsibility. Yeah. So you might say, you might do an exercise where you'll say, um, and it all comes down to your parents. It's yeah. about kind of forgiving your parents, basically. But for me, um, what I found... I mean, the proof of the pudding is the fact that since I left, I've felt better. My life has sort of changed so dramatically. Mm. And it's hard to even describe in every aspect of my life, you know. And it's that. And I think it was being at peace with my sister's death yeah. wasn't a great thing to happen, but it happened. And how am I going to deal with that? And with my family, essentially, and just sort of thinking I had this weird childhood, but, you know, um, they did the best they could. Yeah. And 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 it's acceptance, really. So I, I do find it helpful to go, you can only take responsibility for yourself. And especially with grief. Yeah. And especially with helping other people with grief. I've I've experienced when my husband lost his dad and then his mum. Yeah. I found that incredibly hard. I wanted to fix, I wanted to help. And having to go, you can't you know, if you are watching someone suffer, there's nothing you can do. You just have to let them get through it. You can be just be there. And I think like you said, you take responsibility for your own pain. Why yeah. are you feeling it? And that's essentially all you can do. You can't you can't change anything else. And you have to, and that's the thing, I think, when people are going through it, it's just, there will be what I used to call, you know, kitchen floor moments. Yeah, when, oh my God, yes. You know, the kitchen floor moments, it was like, oh, it's cold down here, I like oh it, God. I'm never going to get up. I used to sit to the kitchen floor and just watch the washing machine, like a baby, because I was like, oh, I used to think, is this, and now I've got a dog, which I bought oh, as a result of amazing. my sister dying, really, because I just thought, you know, okay, it's time I looked after something. Yeah, I've been yeah. in denial about this, being a passenger, and now... But, um, yeah, now I couldn't do that because he'd probably come and, you know... But that's why people have dogs because you'd yeah. lie on the floor and it would be like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> it, would, it cares. Are we, are, we, uh, are we eating down here? And that's why dogs are incredible for mental health because then you go, oh, I guess i better stand up. Like, no, it really does. It's what yeah. I have to go up in the morning. I had a question I wanted mm. to ask you, yeah. um, just my tab browser brain. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. opening another browser. Did you, what funeral music? I want to talk about a bit about funerals. Oh, what did you play at your dad's funeral? Oh, interesting, because we played, so there was a couple of hymns that he'd, uh, I remember Jerusalem, 
was played because that was at school. He'd one of his favourite hymns. My mum said that. But we played Frank Zappa, wow. Peaches and Regalia, which is a wow. pretty obscure instrumental track. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite long. And that was played, I think, as they took the coffin out. Yeah. Uh, I love that they played that. My dad loved, loved Frank Zappa. Um, yeah, it was pretty out there person and I also like it because it's a very rare track so I don't hear it very often yeah so that's quite I my worry is if you choose a you know a really known one you can be flawed quite easily yeah. the moment you put on you yeah know, heart or absolute you know. <laughs> I said, what one are you magic one, whatever one we're absolute but absolute. it's fine other stations are available yeah yeah um but yeah you know what I mean if you put on a classic track so what I times I have heard it it's obviously absolutely floored me but it's also mm. been like maybe twice in 20 years that I've been in a sh- a shop that happens to be cranking out <laughs> obscure Frank Zappa so yeah I was going to say that's not going to happen so often in Superdrug is no, it no exactly, exactly bloody Frank Zappa song yeah. again so that was really nice and it's a really beautiful long track and I I really love that my mum made a big thing my mum was like he loved that was one of his favourite tracks that's what I want Awkwardly, he did also tell me another track he wanted played years before he was ill. Can't remember it. Oh, so really? I do. I said this before. <laughs> if someone tells you at my funeral, I want listen, because I must have been about twelve. He was in the car. Yeah. Something was cranking out. He said, "Oh, Gary, at my funeral, if I ever died, play this." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> and then you forgot. Yeah, because I was like, "What?" Was some... That's not going to happen. Yeah, my dad's just. Chatting. But also, you know what? You have to remember there are things I would have wanted at my funeral fifteen years ago mm. that I wouldn't want now. So exactly, you picked for him at the time. Yeah. So what happened with your sister? Did you have... Well, my sister and I had, again, a running joke. It was one of our sort of Dean family jokes about... Now that's what I call funerals, we used to call it. (laughs) About naff music at funerals. And I mean, I would say... It's a really regular joke of ours. And she would say... And I have to say apologies to anyone who's ever chosen this music because there's nothing wrong with it. It was just us being a bit dark. And you might hate the music that we chose. So it's a taste thing, I know. But we... Rach was like... Oh, please never. I mean, this was long before she was sick, obviously. She was like, oh, I believe I can fly. Come on. (laughs) It was a bit sort of like everyone in white sort of DJs, you know. And any Robbie Williams, I'm afraid, was now that's what I call funerals. (laughs) We had a few and we used to occasionally just send each other tracks when they would say, I heard this today. Can that be on now? That's what I call funerals. So that was kind of weird because obviously when she died, I was, she was very into music, my sister. Right. And I was really adamant that none of those made it on. Yeah, yeah. And I could see with my parents, I could think they'd have said, oh, well, darling, if you think that's right, in the way that if you make a slightly shitty homemade card, they're happy. Yeah, yeah. Whereas my sister wouldn't have been. She would have been, you ruined my funeral, it's <laughs> yeah. naff. Um, so we chose, I, oh, she's a massive David Bowie fan, my <gasps> sister. And so we asked around a bit because I had a couple of friends. Scouse Tony came in useful again, yeah. who'd done the Order of Service. And actually David was useful and Jonathan Ross. Sounds very name droppy this, but these are my you know, people in this these industry. Are friends, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well actually Jane Goldman were, who's Jonathan's wife, that's how I know Jonathan is, she and Rachel and I were friends from eleven. Oh wow. Yeah. So I'd asked um a couple of people, I'd sort of canvassed and who who were genuine really Bowie fans, like Jonathan and, and David mm. and Tony, I was like, what do you think would be a suitable one? And this Everyone Says Hi just kept coming back, which was something he wrote I think it was on um is it Heathen, which is one yeah, of his later I was albums. Say that's a later one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. Um, oh that 
shit, sorry. I'm a massive David Bowie fan. I was going, oh, I don't know that track. No, and yeah, it's yes, on Heathen, I, I think. Yeah, it's but it's an incredibly, I mean, it's quite schmaltzy for Bowie, not schmaltzy, but it's, you know, but the lyrics. it's him, it's okay. Yeah. yeah, and actually he says, you know, it's about his dad. I think it's about his dad dying. Apologies yeah. if it's about his mum, I'm not sure, but it's about one of his parents dying. And um, there's a, it says everyone says hi, and I just felt because... That's we were all, you know, the, the the congregation at that funeral was relatively young. There were people mm. in their late thirties, early forties. You know, they had kids, and it was more uh, us waving high at her. It wasn't because it it was it just felt right, and yeah. he felt right. So um, yeah, it was pretty incredible. And it says at the end, we took Giggle, my sister's dog, to the funeral because oh. Adam thought it'd be nice for the girls. We took the dog to my mother-in-law's funeral, yeah. Did you? I have to say, I was left in charge, and that was the only (laughs) stressful thing. It was really stressful, because obviously my husband and his sister were, you know, dealing with a lot, and she had one child at that point, and so the um, she kept my niece came to the funeral as well, and I had the dog, and the dog was really trying to talk to everyone. And I was, like, (laughs) straining with this dog, like, Polly, Polly, come here, come here. During a funeral. So I think it's lovely, but if you are, maybe get a couple of people to do Well, I did think, cause you have to go over Coleridge's tomb and St. Oh, Michael's, right, yeah. and I thought, oh, he's going to do a wee on the thing, <laughs> I can't bear it. But he was actually, he was very sweet. I mean, and he was really, it's weird. Someone said he was kind of whimpering when the coffin yeah. came out, which is, I've heard stories like that. and. Yeah. I, don't, I never know whether they're just to make us feel yeah. better, but I mean, it was it was really emotional. But anyway, so we played this song, and it's always meant so much to me. I feel like I'm on Desert Island Disc yeah, now. Yeah, I'm changing yeah. it. Karen's going to play it. But yeah, um, and every time I heard it, a friend of mine, Jonathan's manager, Addison, died oh, yeah, a couple of years yeah. after, and I was really good friends with Addison, so I went to the funeral, and Jonathan chose that for Addison, and Jane was looking at me, thinking she was really worried about me even though she was obviously upset about Addison I could see as my mate she was just thinking are you okay and I said you know how uplifting it is it reminds me that song now we do I do a radio show with Frank and Frank said I had I told Frank once I think because he loves that song and I know he's avoided playing it Mm. and I once said to the producer and I said to him I said you know I love that song and there's nothing wrong with mem- remembering my sister. Yeah. It's a tribute to her. I see it. So, And especially if it's played within a controlled environment. Because exactly. I think that's, yeah. like you said, if you're in Superdrug and they start playing David Bowie's <laughs> High, you're like, what? One, who is programming Superdrug's music? But yeah, that's what I like. When I have been in a shop, I think I was in a, like, again, a record shop and it came on. And obviously I just, yeah, I remembered him and it was really nice. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't horrible it was just remembering and that music it does obviously music is so powerful and takes yeah, you it really s- does doesn't it straight away takes you back there yeah oh god I can hear it now because the beginning of that song is like so dun dun it's like so sweeping that immediately I'm back in that church you're back there yeah it's so weird isn't it and yeah. actually do you find that do you with your dad get moments and that took me I would say till after my parents died mm. I only that I will be driving or something and I thought of my mum and my sister laughing about something and it will just just being crazy and 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 it will just i'll laugh yeah and i'll sort of think you know that whole they would have liked this they would have found that funny Mm. and it's frustrating yeah because you want to call them and actually the after my sister died i mean i'm a bit ashamed of this i suppose isn't the right word but i guess i'm a bit embarrassed but i used to call her mobile quite a lot after she died so many people sit in that chair and say that really yeah keep the number keep voicemails keep text messages call the number yeah it's and a friend of mine, actually, she just wrote, um, she's an amazing 
amazing stylist called Imogen Loveday and she just wrote a blog that her brother and her dad had the same name mm. and this Father's Day she accidentally pressed her dad's name her dad's dead and just completely, you know, it was very separate net she'd written. Yeah. Uh, just pressed out his number and she said it absolutely floored her because it was like she heard the, you know, it said, oh, it's cut off. But I think keeping numbers and ringing is really normal. I would have done, but we lived in, that was the age when it was yeah, no mobile phones. Mobile phones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, God, otherwise, yeah, I completely, completely understand that. Is and it's it's that sense, isn't it, that, again, I didn't get it, if I'm honest, quite so much with my parents. And that's because they had a better life. Yeah, and had they died yeah. younger, you know, they'd been around a bit longer. Yeah, and the yeah. inevitability of that. Yeah, of course, of course. Felt it's it's more, very different. Well, I suppose just because I was older. And actually, mm. I wonder, though, I used to think about my parents dying. And I think it's about... I think it's about how old, I think your age at the time, I certainly, that was the, I mean, my sister's death was the first big one that I dealt with. And then mum and dad, it's sort of, it's a bit like you were saying about dealing with your partner's mm. bereavements. You just do get better at handling grief. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that's true? Oh, definitely. The first one, I mean, maybe this, I don't know, this is a good thing to say, but like, it's like your first love, isn't it? Yeah. You know, people go, yeah. oh, your first love always remains this kind of magical, yes. brilliant thing. Yes. And your first death remains this awful, tragic, because it's a shock. It's just unbelievably shocking, unbelievably shocking. And everything after my dad, yeah, there's been, I feel like you have the language, you have the yeah. vocabulary. And when that pain hits you, you're like, ah, oh, yes, hello, old friend, here we are. <laughs> I know, and you also—it's like um, yeah. Holmes and Moriarty, my yeah, yeah. old. Fr- <laughs> exactly. It's like you just sort of feel. Um, it's it's really strange. I describe death as becoming like a season to me. Yeah. And when you talk about that dress, which has really struck a chord with me, it's just knowing what to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. knowing by the time I got to my dad. I had this shit on lock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the with my sister. Who do we? Where do we do? Where do yeah, we go? It's like bringing yeah. the first baby back from the hospital yeah. and then being on number six. I was like, right, go to the coroner's office, report the yeah. death, go to the hospital. You know, I just knew. And actually, you know, it's weird. I look at some of my other friends who haven't had bereavements in the way that I have, yeah. and I, I don't know. It's weird. I, I feel like I've got a passport to a country that they haven't been to yet. Oh my god! Yes. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. It's a very strange feeling and it is exactly like a passport. And it is that like, yeah, I've been somewhere you haven't. And I don't recommend you go there just yet. No, I'm really glad. It's like going to yeah. North Korea. I'm really glad yeah. you haven't had to go there. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I totally know what you mean. And when, and also what I think happens when friends do get that passport, you sort of meet them at the gate and you're like, hi. And then We've they, been expecting you. Yeah, and then they look at you so differently and they're like, oh my God, oh. And you're like, yeah. And there's not there's not much you can say. It's not like, oh, I have the magic words or I've understood life better. It's just I've just known this other side of it and and now you do as well. Yeah, and I don't, you know, it's funny because I've always been reluctant to be sort of smug death club. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, yeah, but yeah. then on the other hand, it is, um, I think your perspective shifts and I think yeah. you... I've always used the expression you dance, but it's with a slight limp. So <laughs> you dance nice. again, yeah, but there's yeah. just a slight limp, which is just a reminder of what happened. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and it doesn't mean you stop dancing. It doesn't mean you'll never dance again, but you will, of course, be changed. And that's no, I'm the embarrass. I'm going to be, I don't have kids, but I'm the embarrassing auntie <laughs> yeah, yeah. at the disco, dancing to R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly, <laughs> which was what my sister really wouldn't have wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Do you honour the sort of, so you do the birthdays and the... Yeah, we do birthdays and anniversaries and 
I think it's quite nice to do something on the birthday because it's not so m- morbid. Because yeah. if you remember, if you do something on anniversary, which we do do something on anniversary, but then you obviously your mind is drawn back to them dying. So I quite like having the other option of like, oh, on the birthday we just do something nice, and we don't always talk about it. But we might just go to the cinema, me and my mum, and or go ice skating or something. That's like, yeah, we sort of, you know, oh, we're not really talking about his dad's birthday, but. If he was here, but it's nice. It's an acknowledgement, and I used to I used to work at a fashion magazine, and a girl I worked with whose dad had died, and she was probably a similar age to you. She um, she used to get a black cab into work on the day her dad died, and it was a weird ritual that she said it made her feel um, she was treating herself and making the day as nice as possible. And I I get that. We do that for Rachel's birthday. We meet with the girls and. You know, it's nice as much as it can be nice. And we do a toast and me, uh, Bertie says, cheers to mummy, Rachel, hooray. And she it's very sweet. So I think that's all you can do is keep remembering and keep honouring them as best yeah. you can. Emily, thank you so much for coming in and talking about your mum, your dad and your amazing sister. Rachel. Thank you. Thank you. You can follow Emily on Twitter at divine underscore miss underscore M. Or you can listen to her podcast, Walking the Dog, or listen to her every Saturday on Absolute Radio with Frank Skinner. You can follow us on social media at The Griefcast on Twitter and Instagram, and you can email me, thegriefcast at gmail.com, because you are not alone. Music was provided by the Glue Ensemble, and the show was produced by Kate Holland. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 